This week on Myths and Legends, we wrap up this leg of our journey with Odysseus. We'll see a monster-filled trolley problem and learn that if your new girlfriend turns your buddies into pigs, it's probably not meant to be. Don't be offended if this week's creature shoves its foot in your face. It's just trying to make eye contact. This is Myths and Legends, episode 205B, The Widening Gyre. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you might think you know, but with surprising origins, and others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. Previously on the podcast, Odysseus helped the Greeks win the Trojan War, and just had a quick trip back home trip he already made once during the war, to pick up Achilles' little psychopath. Still, it should be no big deal. Well, nearly three months later, he was barely any closer. He had a few episodic stops, until landing on the island of the Cyclopes, where he blinded a Cyclops son of Poseidon, Polyphemus, who invoked his dad's wrath. Odysseus almost escaped said wrath, though, when he got all the winds of the earth from Nihilin King, Aeolus, and sailed for nine days uninterrupted until he was in sight of Ithaca, his home. Of course, it can never be that easy, so his envious men loosened the strings of the bag, summoning all the winds and sending the ships right back to King Aeolus. Get out! King Aeolus screamed at the Ithacan king. Odysseus said that that seemed like it was a little bit of an overreaction. You are hated by the gods, the king said, still screaming. No, my guys are idiots. I just need another bag of that wind. Maybe just the western wind this time. I don't need the whole shebang. Come to think about it, this is kind of on you. I mean, who gives someone every wind? Odysseus said to yet another shove. King Aeolus was now shrieking that Odysseus was a creeping thing, and Aeolus wouldn't bless a man the gods detested. He didn't need that kind of heat. So, how'd it go? Odysseus's men asked him when he returned to the ship. He pointed back to the spear points that had escorted him there, and the 40 archers with arrows trained on the boats. It went really great. This is what really great looks like. Thanks for asking. No, they weren't getting any more help here. They should just unfurl the sails and get back on the road. Big blue watery road, one of Odysseus's men sang. But one look from his captain shut that down. He was in no mood for early 2000s pop culture references. They unfurled the sails, but that didn't do much. One problem with angering the warden of the winds was that, well, you kind of needed wind to sail. Ugh. Odysseus groaned and asked his men to take up their oars. <laughs> yeah, guys, let's get away from this lonely island, one of his rowers said with a smirk. Not now, Odysseus barked, and the ships struggled from port. Six days on a sea of glass, and Odysseus's men finally found an island for a bit of rest. As they sailed into port, 
they only saw massive walls built around the bay, allowing entrance in only one spot. The other ships crowded the entrance, while Odysseus's was the last one in. He ordered his men to sleep on the boats and sent a group inland to see who ruled this island. Uh, don't straight up attack anyone, don't steal stuff, don't eat flower drugs, and if you find a cave full of cheese, maybe don't wait inside of it for a giant who lives there to come back. They were all learning a lot of lessons on this trip. His men listened, and truly, they did everything right. But even when you do everything right, you can still end up with a horde of hungry giants chasing you down a hill. The men had ventured inland to see what manner of people ruled these lands, and chanced upon a normal-sized human woman. They didn't realize, however, that that was a slave of the actual rulers of the island. More giants. When they arrived at the shadowy throne room, eyes opened in the darkness, 30 feet up. The men shirked back in terror, and of the half-dozen or so that had been sent to make peace with the locals, only two escaped being whipped against the floor and eaten, Polyphemus style. As they sprinted back toward the ships to warn their fellow warriors of the onslaught to come, a horn bellowed behind them. When the ground started to rumble, two scouts were soon one when a boulder landed beside one of the sprinters, crushing his friend. The scout turned to see the giants behind him, loading up their slings with boulders. The scout realized his error when he was just about back to the ships. He had led the giants back to the boats, and each one of them had a boulder and a sling that could sink one of their vessels. Odysseus was nothing if not smart. He saw the giants pouring out the gap in the wall, already beginning to wind up their slings. Cut the anchor, he ordered. Get to the oars. His first mate nodded and gave the order. The men began rowing, but Odysseus yelled for them to stop. They were rowing in the wrong direction. The men couldn't quite process what he was saying. What direction did he want them to row? Odysseus pointed out toward the sea. His men let go of the oars and, and leave them? The boulders were already hitting the first of the black boats back toward the island. Screams filled the harbor. Odysseus told the rowers to look back. There was no helping the others. If they didn't leave now, they would never get the chance. He said he understood. Those were his men, his friends. They fought alongside each other but they didn't need to die alongside each other. Not now, not for nothing. There was no fighting an onslaught of giants. If they were in his position, they would do the same. Odysseus would want them to do the same. Odysseus waited. He could give the order. He could force them to do it. But they needed to feel like this was their choice. They needed to own this alongside him or else he will be dead from mutiny within the week. Odysseus watched solemnly as the men began to pick up their oars. First one, then three, then a dozen. Without a word, they rowed from the harbor, the screams of their comrades being the only thing that followed them. For the next few days, Odysseus tried not to think. 
he put the thoughts from his mind. He tried not to imagine what his men were going through back on the island of giants. He remembered his own terror in the cave of the Cyclops, but even then he had hope. His other men had been trapped, all the boats destroyed. They were marooned on an island of predators. Odysseus told himself it was the only way. Even the wily Odysseus couldn't have planned a way out at the moment with so little time. He tried to make himself believe that that was the case. Now, they stopped again. They had to. He didn't care about the treasury lost. Cups and jewelry that had graced Priam and his palaces, now at the bottom of a bay, or added to the hoard of some cannibalistic giant. He did care about the provisions. They had some, of course, but the bulk had been spread out among the boats. The boats they had just lost. On an island, after he had sent a spear through a deer's spine and secured them dinner, the scouts came back again. There was only one home on this island. No kingdom, no warriors, only a young woman, weaving and singing. Odysseus was uneasy. He had been up against armies, giants, cyclopes, and more on this trip, but one young woman at a loom? This felt different. Not sensing the danger, Eurylochus, one of Odysseus's men, stood up. He would lead the team. They would bravely go make contact with this young woman. Odysseus told his brother-in-law to, please, be careful. The man smirked. It was one woman. He'd be fine. A couple hours later, Odysseus heard the screaming and turned, almost losing his balance as his brother-in-law slammed into his knees. He was squeezing them, weeping. They needed to leave. The men, they, they were gone. Dead, Odysseus barked. He rubbed his forehead and looked to the ground. Come on. His brother-in-law looked up. Well, no, not yet, but... Odysseus kicked his brother-in-law free and stormed back to the boat. He returned with his sword, bow, and a command for Eurylochus to lead him to the woman. But the man only trembled and shook his head. No. No, he would never go back there. Odysseus slung his bow over his shoulder. He wasn't losing any more men. He would go it alone. Eurylochus rushed back to the ship. But Odysseus started off on a jog inland. He tracked the freshly trampled path that had been made by 20 of his men until he heard the singing. He could see the smoke rising from the young woman's house off in the distance. This wasn't that singing. This was... Hey there, child, Odysseus said, slowing his jog when he spotted the shimmering teen. I'm not a child, the kid barked back, his voice cracking. He tilted his head up, revealing, as one of the originals says, some downy peach fuzz on his upper lip, showing off his sweet stash. Odysseus nodded. Wow, nice, he stood corrected. Which one are you? I'm going to go out on a limb and say Cupid, a.k.a. Eros in the Greek. The god sneered. Did he look like a kid? Odysseus was about to say, kind of yes, but the Olympian finally introduced himself. He was Hermes. Ah, the sandals, Odysseus said. He should have noticed the wings on the kid's sandals. Odysseus apologized. He was distracted. He was on his way to save his men. Yeah, that's kind of why I'm here. Hermes said. He was the protector of human travelers, thieves, 
merchants, and orators. And Odysseus was all but one of those things. Basically, Odysseus shouldn't do that, unless he wanted to end up like his men. Captured? Odysseus asked. Pigs, the kids said. Basically, if Odysseus went there to get them, he was never leaving this place, unless he listened to Hermes. The Olympian produced an herb. Here, if Odysseus ate it, then, when the witch who owned this island tried to drug him and turn him into a pig like his men, his senses wouldn't be dulled. He should then draw his sword, threatening her with death. Odysseus took the plant, with its black root and milky white flower, and chewed it. Nice, thanks. So to get home, all he had to do was threaten her, and she would turn his men back? Hermes gritted his teeth. Well, that wasn't all Odysseus would have to do. Odysseus arrived at the witch's stone house. Outside, all manner of animals were sleeping in the yard. Lions, leopards, eagles, wolves. They all took notice of Odysseus' approach and then went back to sleep. Odysseus stood before the massive, carved doors. Circe, he yelled. In an instant, the doors began to open. When they did, she stood there. Before him, Odysseus looked her up and down and swallowed hard. He scrambled to compose his thoughts. My men, he said. But she only held up a finger and bade him to follow her and her flowing dress down the long stone hallway. She stopped in front of a platter with two intricately carved, silver-studded goblets on it. Wordlessly, she seemed to glide to the bottle on another table, every move graceful, every move intentional. She poured the honeyed wine, and Odysseus took a long drink. When he lowered the goblet, hers was gone, replaced with a long stick. She was determined, but not angry, and she pointed the staff at Odysseus. Go to the sty and snore among your friends. Odysseus nodded, drew his sword, and held it against her neck. Uh, he's not going to be doing that. Give him his men back. She smiled and dropped her stick. And you must be Odysseus, king of Ithaca, the witch said with a smile. She told Odysseus that he could put that sword away. It was obvious he was from the gods. Odysseus shook his head. No. First, an oath. On the gods, no harm would come to him or his men. Circe, the witch, smiled, and she would help him find his way home. She smiled again, if that was his wish. She made the oath. Odysseus could sense that she was telling the truth, but the moment his sword was sheathed, she attacked him. But not like that. She began kissing him. He tried. He resisted for a moment, and then he kissed her back. She waved a hand, and the heavy doors behind her flew open, the door to the bedroom. Odysseus, abandoning himself to the moment, followed her in. Ithaca awoke in Circe's bed. All around the mansion, nymphs bustled. She was already up, commanding them, doing whatever it is witches do, so he settled back in. 
listening to the sounds of the sea and the menagerie in Circe's yard, just as he had every morning for the last year. His men were no doubt waking up all around the mansion, the ones from his ship and the ones that had had a brief stay in the sty. They had all been invited to partake in the various pleasures of Circe's house, her food that made them feel like gods, the drink that soothed the many aches of war. Odysseus gathered up his tunic from the floor and got dressed. After 10 years of war and months of wandering, it was a wonderful respite. But, but she was there. He thought about her every day, or tried not to think about her. Penelope, his wife, she waited for him while he tarried here, drinking, dining, and he pushed the thought away, as he did every morning, trying to ignore it. His journey called, though. His home called. It was stronger now. As it turned out, they all felt it. It had been summer when they arrived at this blessed, cursed place, and it was summer again. The men weren't as adept as Odysseus at compartmentalizing, and the thought was a spark that led to a burning fire of discontent among the men. It also didn't help that, you know, while Odysseus shared Circe's bed each night, his men slept in the hall. The wine and food were nice, but they needed to go home. They told Odysseus at the breakfast table that morning, and the king sighed and agreed. That night, Odysseus rolled over. He told Circe that he needed to leave. It was time for her to make good on her oath. Circe allowed herself a smile. This day arrived faster than she thought it would. Odysseus furrowed his brow. A year? A year later? That was early? Anyway. She told Odysseus that he would never stay in her house against his will, but he couldn't go home. Not the way he thought he could. His route now would be longer. He said he was a year and a half into a journey that should take at most a couple weeks. How much longer? She shook her head. No, not in time. But to get back, against the will of the gods, he had to get one step ahead of them. He needed a prophet. He needed Tiresias. Oh, come on, Odysseus said, flinging himself back down on the bed. The blind prophet who cautioned Oedipus? The dead blind prophet? This meant... <sighs> exactly, Circe chimed in. You'll have to go to Hades, the underworld to speak with him. Odysseus sighed. He didn't know the way, and even if he did, no man has ever braved the land of the dead and come back to tell the tale. Circe, wide-eyed, said that that statement wasn't remotely true, and as for how to get there, ah, if only he knew a goddess who was bound to aid him on his journey. That's going to be a yikes from me, Eurylochus said, as he looked on the body. It was Elpinor, the youngest of Odysseus's crew. His neck was broken, but that's what happens when you land on it from the roof. Odysseus moved to cover the body. If you're in a year-long pit stop in the house of a goddess while your boss processes the horrors of war, and you spend each day getting absolutely loaded on her heavenly wine, you know, no judgments. You've been through a lot, what with Troy, Cyclopes, your buddies getting hooked on highly addictive flowers, and then dying in a separate incident. If you do decide to partake, 
do so responsibly by maybe not sleeping on the roof. Once again, no judgments, but that's exactly what happened to Elpinor, a fate his men quickly deduced when they saw that he was still, somewhat impressively, gripping the wine bottle. Well, we'll all see him again, Odysseus said with a sigh. Eurylochus joined his brother-in-law, throwing an arm around him. Yes, this is true. Someday we shall all join him in that better place. No, wait, he was in Hades. That place was scary and dark, and he's just a shade now. Yeah, not someday, Odysseus said. Then he told his guys to take a seat. He, he had news. They took it better than he thought they would, in that they were on the ground, weeping, wailing, and tearing out their hair. Odysseus sighed, and the instructions from Circe, still fresh in his mind, told everyone to get aboard. He turned to say goodbye to the woman with whom he had spent an entire year, but she was gone. Odysseus smirked and nodded. We'll follow Odysseus down into the dark, but that will be right after this. They were there. Hades. Odysseus held the struggling lamb as it died, blood pooling around their feet. Odysseus and a few of his men had made the trek down into the darkness. Now they stood, surrounded by it. They waited. The torch burned, but the darkness of this place swallowed the light before it was able to touch anything. Odysseus said the words as Circe had instructed, and the eyes began to open. Surrounding them, eyes looked out from the black as the dead, now mere shades, stepped into the light. Soldiers in their armor, mothers with their children, the sick, the battle-slain, the old, they stood puzzled by the light. Then, one pushed through. Odysseus stepped forward, Elpinor. He moved to clasp the soldier's arm, but he moved right through it. How is it that you could make this journey faster than me, poor Elpinor? Odysseus said, choking back a tear. Elpinor asked, was Odysseus serious right now? He was dead. They all go straight to Hades. Also, Odysseus was, frankly, just terrible at navigation. Okay, ow, Odysseus said, backing up. But Elpinor went on. He was dead, so he knew all sorts of things now. Did Odysseus know where Circe's island was located? No, of course he didn't. It was south of Rome, on the western coast of Italy. Italy, not Greece. Odysseus overshot home by the entire distance of the trip. It's like trying to go to St. Louis and ending up in California. Yeah, but we were blown off course by the whole wind thing, Odysseus replied. But Elpinor cut him off. Yeah, that isn't helping. Eolus's island is north of Sicily, so still Italy. They still made it all the way to Italy. Odysseus was blown all the way back there and then went 200 miles in the wrong direction. Elpinor said that, well, anyway, this is all getting off track. Odysseus might be surprised to see him here. It might want to know how he died. No, no, we know. Yeah, you, you got drunk and fell off the roof, Odysseus said, matter-of-factly. 
Oh, you, you knew? Yeah, it wasn't hard to figure out. You had a broken neck and smelled like a winery, Odysseus replied, smirking at his chance to one-up his former soldier. But Elpinor interrupted again. But Odysseus knew he was dead? So why was he still unburied? Odysseus bit his lip. Yeah, I mean, they were in a hurry. Really wanted to get out the door and make good time. Go back and bury me, you jerk, Elpinor said. Odysseus sighed. Okay, okay, he would bury the kid. Elpinor shook his head. He can't even right now. He stormed off. The crowd parted to make way for him, revealing another face that Odysseus knew. A face he hadn't seen since he was last on Ithaca. Mom? Odysseus asked, choking back tears. What? The form that jumped in the middle of the family reunion said. No, name's Tiresias. Odysseus looked past the blind prophet, but his mother, Anticlea, was gone. <laughs> Is that blood? I smell blood, Tiresias asked, and Odysseus said, yeah, it was the sacrifice to draw the shades. Ooh, you mind? Tiresias asked. Odysseus said no, it was for Tiresias, and the prophet knelt down and buried his face in the blood, taking some long overly slurpy drinks. Odysseus grimaced. Yeah, dr drink it up. Woo. Tiresias burped and wiped his mouth. Ah, much better. All right, so you want to hear some prophecies? How did you know? Odysseus asked. Tiresias laughed. Come on, I'm Tiresias, blind prophet, and as long as your name isn't Oedipus, I'm happy to help. You actually listen to me, so we're good. Tiresias was scrolling through the files in his head. All right, Odysseus. Three S's. Yeah. Have you done anything to anger Poseidon? Because that, and your own inability to navigate at all, are really why you're in this mess. You should be good. Just sacrifice to Poseidon, don't anger any more gods, and you should be able to fly under the radar back home. Zeus and Athena are still on your side. Oh, and one more thing. When you get to Thernatia and see the herds of the sun god Helios, don't steal any. That, that's it? Odysseus asked. That's it. Just don't steal any cows or sheep or whatever. Super easy, Tiresias said. Look, I'm doing it right now. That's a little joke. But seriously, don't. Or else you won't get home before the rest of your crew is dead and you spend years more at sea. All right? All right. Good talk, kid. Tiresias took one more slurp of the blood before heading back to Hades. After he left, Odysseus saw the face again at the edge of the shades. She stepped forward wordlessly and took a sip from the blood. It was his mother, Odysseus, jaw clenched and barely holding things together, asked how it happened. Loneliness. Loneliness and sorrow, Anticlea said. She died of a broken heart. Penelope waited. Laertes, Odysseus' father, took to the wilderness. Telemachus was learning to rule but Anticlea couldn't stop thinking about her wonderful, gentle Odysseus, trapped in a war from which he might never return. Odysseus said that he did return, and he was safe now. He looked out in the pack of shades that hungered for the blood he defended with a sword on a journey where hundreds of his men had been killed by giants and cyclopes, so relatively safe. Anticlea smiled. It was time for her to go. Persephone called. Oedipus studied the crowd. They were all leaving, 
all the women, Alcmene, Hercules' mother, Jocasta, Oedipus' mother, and, yeah, Leda, Helen's mother, Ariadne, Iphigenia, and many more stood silently. Inticlea, Odysseus's mother, took a step back into the darkness and disappeared. When the women had gone, the men remained. And, wait, seriously? You're here? Odysseus blurted. A form stepped forward. Agamemnon, the Greek king of kings and the leader of the assault against Troy, emerged from the darkness. At ease, soldier, the grizzled king said. Okay, we've never talked like that. You're just saying that for effect. What happened to you? I leave you for ten minutes. Was it shipwreck? Sickness? Wife stabbed me, Agamemnon informed his former lieutenant. Word to the wise, don't sacrifice your child and leave your spouse who hates you in charge of your kingdom for a decade, and then return with a mistress. <sighs> who could have seen that coming? Anyone, literally anyone, Odysseus replied, and then joined in, as Agamemnon rattled off some fiercely misogynistic insults about Clytemnestra, Helen, and, by extension, all women forever. Ancient Greece is fun like that. Then, Odysseus was silent. Another approached. Two more, Achilles and Patroclus. Odysseus nodded solemnly to the two greatest warriors at Troy. Achilles nodded. What's up? Uh, hey, think he could, like, come back? No, that's not how it worked. <sighs> Bummer. Like, it was cool and all down here. He had Patroclus and he was a king and stuff, but... He would give it all up in a minute for just one more day above. No offense, Patroclus. But Patroclus said, none taken, it being dead is horrible. Still, seeing as he was Achilles and obsessed with legacy, how was his son, Neoptolemus? Odysseus thought with a shudder, back to the last time he had seen the little sociopath, who had taken Hector's wife, Andromache, as his own slave, tearing her child from her chest and throwing him from the walls of Troy in front of her. Great, so great, Odysseus said. You killed how many thousands of people at Troy? Oh, well, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. He's well on his way to his dad's record, and I'm sure he won't let a silly thing like peacetime stop him. Achilles, knowing that he couldn't embrace Odysseus, smiled and nodded, and he and Patroclus walked together back into the dark. When they disappeared... Another was visible. Odysseus grimaced. Yeah, he's still mad, Agamemnon said. The form of Ajax turned from them. Hey, hey buddy, wanna, wanna talk about some stuff? Want some blood? Got some yummy blood, Odysseus said. But Ajax wouldn't turn toward the man he blamed for his death. Agamemnon rolled his eyes. Just leave it. He's mopey. We're all dead. Get over it, the king of Mycenae yelled. Odysseus decided not to point out that Agamemnon just spent like 30 lines complaining about his own wife. Agamemnon stepped closer to Odysseus, pointing off into the darkness. Here, check out some of the highlights. There was King Minos, sitting on a golden throne, Tantalus and Sisyphus in their eternal torture. Then, Odysseus gasped. Yes! With no small degree of swagger, the big guy, the star of Hades, strode into view. 
Hercules. Wow, okay, wish you were that excited to see me, Agamemnon said, but even he knew he couldn't compete with Hercules. Then, shouts came from behind Odysseus. The meet and greet was over. The shades were getting restless. They were out for blood, literally. They wanted to drink the blood of the sacrifice and hear how their loved ones were doing. They were about to mob the living. Odysseus and his crew had to go. Wait, I thought these were shades and they couldn't interact with the living, Odysseus said. There's no time for reasonable questions, his men shouted. They needed to go. Now. Aw, but, but Hercules, Odysseus said, but his men were already halfway gone. He looked back and already couldn't see through the mass of shades to Hercules. He sighed, said goodbye to Agamemnon, and climbed out of Hades. Odysseus placed the oar on the grave, just as Elpinor had asked. It was done. Elpinor had been buried. He could be at peace, as far as anyone in Hades was at peace. You're alive, Odysseus heard behind him. It was Circe and her handmaids, with all manner of meat and wine. Everyone goes to Hades. Few return. I can't stay, Odysseus replied, looking to the ground. He had to go. He had waited too long. I know. You and your men can feast. Then you'll leave in the morning, she said, taking him by the hand and leading him inside. Before that, though, she had some things she needed to tell him, because after hearing what he needed to from Tiresias, she could tell him the rest of his way home. You sure about this, boss? One of Odysseus's men asked him as he tightened the rope, securing his king to the mast of the ship. You can't hear me. You have beeswax in your ears, Odysseus replied. What? I can't hear you. I have beeswax in my ears, the man said. Odysseus rolled his eyes and with a head flick, he couldn't move his hands. He gestured to the man to get back in command. Watch out for those rocks. As it turned out, the rocks weren't all they needed to look out for. The place, a sharp, rocky archipelago, was a graveyard. Some of the ships had wrecked or run aground on the rocks, but still others floated, abandoned. The pilot wondered what had happened to the men. Who abandons their ship this far out at sea? But then he saw who. In the haze, there was an island of corpses, of men and a few women, who had crawled over each other. The ones toward the bottom were little more than bones. The most recent, for whom it couldn't have been more than a week since they starved to death with a smile on their face, were still straining for them, the singers. They were two women, or something approximating women. They stood on the rocks, with feathery wings and bird legs, calling out toward the ship. Kind of ugly and scary looking, the pilot didn't know what the hubbub was about. Odysseus apparently did, though, because when the pilot looked back, the man had almost flexed the ropes loose. He was straining against them, so much that the vein in his forehead was popping out. The bird, women, monsters on the rocks zeroed in on Odysseus. 
since he was the only one that could hear. And they were beckoning him. Odysseus was screaming, spit flying, and eyes popping for the man to untie him. The pilot was a little scared now and pointed to his ears. Oh, beeswax, sorry boss. I'm going to assume you want to be tied tighter. Odysseus, it turned out, was a biter, but it was nothing that his men couldn't handle. The ropes tightened, and the boat careening at full speed ahead. Soon, they were out of range. Odysseus, exhausted and drooping in the ropes, finally nodded to his men. They could start taking the beeswax out. They were fine. Thank you. One did, listened a bit, and clawed the rest of the wax out. It took three men to jump on him and tie him up alongside the boss. They weren't out of range yet. Wily Odysseus was wily. After most of the day passed, one man plucked the wax from his ears and only heard the sea. He motioned for the others. They left Odysseus tied up through the night, just to be safe. Because Odysseus was tied up, they made great time, and actually knew where they were going. The cliffs, Odysseus shouted upon waking. The cliffs! Yes, we saw the cliffs, Odysseus, Eurylochus said, patting his brother-in-law on the shoulder. This guy, great king, really adept at tricking people so they die, not so hot at sailing. Get to the cliffs, Odysseus screamed, wiggling free of the ropes. He spun the sail, so they were headed straight for the cliffs. Odysseus, this is a sailboat. It doesn't go on the rocks. Rocks are bad for it, Eurylochus tried to explain, but Odysseus wouldn't relent. They were craning directly toward the rocks. Eurylochus was about to demand to know what he was doing, but Odysseus only pointed. Out there, in the middle of the strait between Sicily and Calabria, was a whirlpool, Charybdis, Odysseus said. On the other side of the strait, a monster lived under a rock. Twice a day, she drank and belched, throwing up the water so it formed a violent whirlpool. But, but why? The crew asked Odysseus, who was helping the ship stay out of range of the whirlpool, but follow the rocks on the other side. Odysseus sighed. It was a symbiotic relationship of sorts, he said settling in and sitting down. Symbiotic relationship, the man asked. With what? Odysseus didn't answer them, but Scylla did. It happened so fast that Odysseus only saw a blur. In a second, six of his men were pulled, screaming from the ship. Wiggling like a fish on the line, Odysseus saw an outline of the camouflaged form among the rocks. She ducked into her cave, sweeping the screaming men in behind her. Odysseus grimaced. Better a few men should die than the whole ship. And he didn't try to hide himself. It was a difficult choice. We're safe now, Odysseus said, returning to the sail. The ship skimmed onward, silently, toward home. Please, 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 can we stop? 
Eurylochus begged. He had to go to the bathroom and he was tired and hungry and they all wanted to stop. The men nodded at their captain and king. Odysseus looked out on the island, at Thrinacia. No, they would stop at the next island. Eurylochus stomped his foot. Odysseus never let them have any fun. Then he turned. Is this what you want? The M word? I don't want to say it. Eurylochus stood with his arms crossed. Then don't, Odysseus replied, his hand resting on his sword. Look, Eurylochus said, you didn't tell us about the sea monsters. You didn't level with us about the sirens. We left most of our crew to die. You owe us. Odysseus said, okay. Did they really want to know? Because the cattle of Helios grazed on this island. Tiresias and Circe said that if anything happened to those cattle, all his men were going to die, and it was going to take Odysseus a lot longer to get home. It's better if we just don't stop, so it doesn't take me forever to get home. And, and so we don't die? Eurylochus asked. Odysseus said that that wasn't the least appealing thing right now, but sure. Okay, so we won't touch the cows or sheep or whatever, Eurylochus said. The men around him nodded. Agreed, they agreed. They wanted to stop too. You're going to be able to resist godly beef after we've been at sea for weeks? Odysseus asked, incredulous. If it means our life? Absolutely. Besides, we just want to stop for the night, stretch our legs, catch some game, not cows. It'll be fine. Eurylochus reassured his king and brother. Odysseus gritted his teeth and relented. Fine. They could stop as long as no one touched the cows. One night. One month later, Odysseus lumbered into the cave at the highest point on the island. He was soaked through from the storm that had been battering the island for weeks since the morning they were set to leave. The barley on the ship was gone. So was the wine. Some men came back from fishing drenched and the crew devoured the minnows they caught. It had been three weeks without food. This was a test, of course, the gods were challenging his resolve, his will. He would starve before he broke. But he came to this place in solitude so he could ask the gods to end their trial on him and his men. What was the point if it killed them? He didn't know if the gods hurt him, but he took another hour or so to let his cloak dry above the fire. When he emerged, he smiled. The rain, it, the rain was letting up. The gods had heard him. It was going to be okay. He turned toward the coast, to where the black ship had been pulled into a grotto to shelter it from the storm, and his smile evaporated. He took off in a run toward the beach, toward the smoke that was coming from the caves. Odysseus sat by the fire. His men sang and feasted. He had screamed until his voice gave out, but it didn't matter. In their desperation, when they saw a choice between gambling with the gods and the very real, very imminent specter of starvation, they chose the former, slaughtered one of the cattle, and feasted for six days. Odysseus abstained eating whatever plants he could find to stave off the hunger pains, but refusing to offend the gods further. He was angry, of course, 
but he also knew what this meant. He didn't know when, he didn't know how, but his crew was going to die. Every man he had led, fought with, and lived with for the last 11 years would be gone before he reached home. The beautiful, blue, and sunny world in front of them was incongruous with Odysseus's mood. The men sang on the deck, and they pointed toward home. Eurylochus slapped his brother-in-law on the back. Cheer up! How could he feel so bad when things were so good? Odysseus looked up and nodded. He clasped his brother-in-law's face and looked him in the eyes. He did so and said goodbye because he saw what no one else did. Up above them, a solitary cloud had formed. Their past had come hunting for them. It was time. On a clear, warm summer day, a lightning bolt came down from on high. A thousand times brighter than the sun, Odysseus watched as it thundered through the black deck of his ship. The king of Ithaca had to shield his eyes as his friends, his family, his brothers-in-arms became shadows in the fire of Zeus's wrath. Then the darkness took him. woman sang, Penelope. Penelope used to sing that song. Odysseus struggled to open his eyes. He ached all over. His clothes were singed, his skin burned, and he was bruised. He felt like the last few days had been a dream. He struggled to even remember. He had awoken on a piece of his ship. He was in it. Charybdis, the whirlpool. He lunged at the last possible moment held on to an olive tree, the spray of the ocean pelting him. He thought he could hold on, but his strength gave out, and he dropped. Gripping onto the wood and the oar he thought he abandoned, he spun, and he was pulled under. Zeus must have been watching over him, because not only did he come back up, but the only way out was back by Scylla. Zeus must have averted her gaze as Odysseus floated by. It could have been hours or days, but he felt the sand beneath his swollen, sea-soaked skin. The waves brought him to a beach. But whose beach? A woman appeared above Odysseus in bed, filling his vision. She smiled. He was awake and alive. She found him out there on the beach. Her name was Calypso, and he was going to be her husband. That's where we'll leave it this time. It probably shouldn't be a spoiler, but the next time we catch up with Odysseus, seven years will have passed with him as a prisoner on Calypso's island. We'll catch up with the actual start of the Odyssey, but that'll be a little ways off. Next week, we will finally be picking up with the Mabinogion after several weeks of talking about it. Thank you to everyone who helped me out with pronunciations. You are awesome. If you'd like to support the show, as always, we have a membership thing on the site. 
But if you're looking for a gift for the holidays, check out mythpodcast.com slash store for t-shirts, posters, stickers, handmade items, and yes, even giftable memberships. Once again, that's mythpodcast.com slash store. The creature this week is the Aigamuxa from South Africa. If you're not careful, you might mistake the Aigamuxa for a human. But then again, you'd have to be really not careful because the Aigamuxa is like nine feet tall with razor sharp teeth and claws and oh yeah, doesn't have eyes on its face. Its eyes are on the much more practical soles of its feet. So if you see a giant humanoid with sharp teeth and claws who has to do a handstand to make eye contact with you, don't be fooled, it's the Aigamuxa. Said to hunt humans like zebra, the creature's teeth can tear through flesh, and crunch bones like nothing. Large but not cocky, it's said to target lone humans traveling by foot at night. I guess I would be cautious too if I had to lift my foot to see where I was going. You might think you're doomed if you come across this monster in the desert and at night. And really, with that attitude you are, you shouldn't give up because these creatures are remarkably stupid. One story tells of a time when the Agamuxa captured Jackal, a notorious trickster, and as the monster was taking him back to its lair, because what monster doesn't have a lair, Jackal simply reached into his pocket and emptied his pipe in front of the monster's feet as it walked. The monster, feet eyes stinging from tobacco dust, dropped the trickster, and since the creature was both blinded and immobilized, Jackal had a chance for a speedy getaway. Another story tells of a time when the creature had a good night and captured a woman after it had already eaten. It decided to take the woman back to its lair and keep her for the next day. The next morning, it opened up the woman's cell and dragged her out to the main cave. Not waiting, the monster clawed at her and bit into her, but its claws snapped and its teeth were blunted. The creature lifted up a foot to see in shock that he must have captured some sort of sorceress because she now had skin made out of stone. While he kept attacking, certain he could pierce her defenses, the actual woman just walked out of the cave, having replaced herself with a rock. And not a particularly human-looking rock, just a rock. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. And I want to say thanks again to BetterHelp for sponsoring us this week. Is there something interfering with your happiness or preventing you from achieving your goals? You should really check out BetterHelp. They assess your needs to match you with your own professional, licensed therapist, and you can start communicating in under 48 hours. Visit betterhelp.com myths that's better H-E-L-P and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. In fact, so many people have been using BetterHelp that they are recruiting additional counselors in all 50 states. Myths and Legends listeners get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com myths. All right. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next time.